0: Hey guys, my name is Mark Youngman. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Church. It is so good to be with you this weekend. This weekend actually marks the ending of a series that we've been in for the last month called Lifelines. And it's been a great experience of seeing how God has been reaching down to rescue us in the midst of all of our struggles. And we've been in this letter of Philippians, so we're kind of going to wrap it up this week. And I'm just going to jump right in towards the end of a letter called Philippians. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm so thankful for God's word for us that has been steadfast for us, has been giving us life, especially in this season. I wanna ask you a question. Do you remember 2019? (laughs) Seems like so long ago, we were so young and naive in 2019. (laughs) You know, when you look back on it now, do you remember in 2019, we were actually complaining about how it was one of the worst years we'd ever experienced. You probably don't remember that now, but you did, and we did. <laughs> I don't, actually can't remember specifics. It seems like a lot of people died. A lot of world events were happening in 2019, and we were so ready to turn the page on 2019. Now, you might not remember, so I'm just going to kind of brush up your memory just a little bit. Here's just kind of a, an example. There was a study done in 2019 of adults in America, and 19% of adults in America said that they were experiencing some kind of depression or anxiety. 2019, one of the worst years we've ever had. Do you wanna guess what the the same study said after six months in 2020? 36% of adults said that they were experiencing anxiety and depression in 2020. Now I know that you can find a study to get to any conclusion, but this one makes sense to me. That there are twice as many people feeling anxious and depressed in 2020, as there were in 2019. I think that it makes sense because of all the things that we have been to, been through. And so you remember in 2019, we were anxious to turn turn the page, and almost every pastor in every church stood up in their church on the last Sunday of the year and said, this is it, we're turning the page, we're going to make a clean slate, we're going to get through it. And we were, you know, we would say things like, I just wish that we could put 2019 behind us, and we got our wish, and our reward was 2020. (laughs) Congratulations, right? Do you want your wish back? (laughs) In this series over the last uh, several weeks, we've been identifying these lifelines that that God is, is, is revealing through Paul through a letter that he wrote to some believers in a city called Philippi. And these are lifelines where God meets us in in our very place of need. Because the struggle of, of these things we've been talking about, like comparison and complaining and immaturity and poor perspective, are certainly real. The struggle is real. And God knows all of our struggles, which means God knows everything about 2020. God is in the middle of 2020. And God knows about our anxiety He knows that there's probably more than 36% of adults in America that are experiencing it. And he offers us a way out of the struggle in a way that leads us to the life that God has for us. So thinking in general terms, I would say that anxiety and contentment are opposites, really. So you could say anxiety is a barrier to having contentment in your life. But there are other barriers to contentment. They're actually the things that we've been talking about, right? This complaining and comparison and immaturity and poor perspective. Those can be barriers for us feeling content in any one moment. But I think that contentment and anxiety are actually two sides of the same coin. And here's how I think that we can see it. You see, contentment is about right now. Contentment is about what you're experiencing in the moment. But anxiety is really all about the future, The the Greek word for anxiety actually means to be pulled in different directions, to be pulled apart. Anxiety causes us to feel that way sometimes, like we're just being ripped apart from ourselves, and we just feel off, right? Well, the irony is that we are anxious about the future, but anxiety most affects us today. It most affects how we feel, even physically in our bodies, we feel anxiety, and it causes strife in our relationships, and it leads to anger and outburst and division in our lives today, even though it's all about the future. So a quick question, are you letting tomorrow control today? Are you letting anxiety about tomorrow steal your joy today? You've heard this phrase, Tomorrow has worries of its own. If you've heard it, it's because Jesus said it. And here's a here's part of a passage, actually, in the message translation, in which Jesus said, tomorrow has worries of its own. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's like the definition of anxiety. We are more likely to say, I think, um, I will be content when, fill in the blank, right? I will be content when the, the kids are out of diapers. <laughs> I will be content when the kids are out of college. I will be content when my house is paid off. I'll be content when I'm the boss. I'll be content when the election is over. There's always a thing out there, right? That, that's, that's the moment when I will be content. But in his letter to the Philippians, soon after saying, don't be anxious about anything, Paul says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, Paul says, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So to summarize Paul's teaching here, don't be anxious, be content simple, right? <laughs> no, of course it's not right. The struggle with anxiety is real. If it, if it was easy, we wouldn't be talking about it. If it was easy, Paul wouldn't have been writing about it. So here's one way that the struggle is real for me. My family lives in a wonderful home in a great location. We've been living there for about five years, and I'm telling you, it's, it's just, it's, it's not fancy, but it's just right for us. It has enough space for all of us. It has a great view of the sunset that we can see every single evening. And so many times we just walk into our home and there's are just, you know, oh, we have, we have contentment. Like we, we love being there. And yet, on a regular basis, I receive a text message from my wife, Jenny. And in it has a, has a link to a house that's for sale in our area. <laughs> It's usually just a little bit better than the one that we're living in, or it's a different style that kind of fits us maybe a little bit better. It's on a, it's on a, a little bit more land than, than the house that we're living in right now. <laughs> we love our house. We're very content, but every once in a while, I get that text message. We have, we have realtor friends who check in on us on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> They've seen a house. They, they think of us. They're just checking in because they know that we're, we're looking, like, right? We're, we're looking for things. i I, have, I get a daily email from a realtor in Nashville that I don't even know. I don't even know how I got on the email list, but I get pictures of homes every single day. And a lot of times, I look at them. <laughs> but we love our house. <laughs> We're so content in our house. I, actually, I don't blame us for this, this activity that we go through. I don't blame any, any person in our home. I don't blame myself. You know who I blame? HGTV. They have shows that make sure that I'm discontent in my contentment, right? They have shows of houses on islands and, and how to make your okay house even better. And we watch those over and over again, and we somehow it's feeding some discontentment I didn't know we had. So why can't we just be content? We've got everything we need. It, it works for us. What's the problem? Are we searching for the right place? Are we searching for contentment? I'm asking you. I really don't know. <laughs> what are we searching for? All I can really say is that we are searching. I'm not going to analyze our entire family life right in front of you in the middle of a sermon here, but we are searching. So the truth is, we are actually designed to strive for more. Uh, it's like Pastor Jacob mentioned last week in his sermon. He was talking about how we are citizens of heaven, and we, we are striving, we're yearning for heaven, for something which is a little bit beyond what we can see, and a little bit beyond what we can even imagine. I'm not going to go deep into this, but we're actually, our bodies actually naturally produce a chemical which causes us to yearn for more, which causes us to push on into the future, to push towards, towards um, improvement. It's amazing. If you think about it, like, it's actually how the species survived over all those years, like from, from the Neanderthals and the Stone Age and all the way through till now. You know, they ha- it was how they survived without air conditioning. <laughs> it was how they survived without Starbucks. Like, they just pushed on through till they could get to a better place. They knew there was something better, and so they went for it, and they were right. But our bodies, at the same time, also produce chemicals that help us to focus on the here and the now. To focus on what we have, the bounty that is in our lives around us. And that's why we actually, I mean it's actually in our bodies to feel this pull towards the future, but also towards what is right in front of us here and now. So we're able to feel contentment, and yet we're driven towards the future at the same time. Have you ever felt that struggle? Like you want to feel guilty about looking towards the future, but you also want to enjoy what you have in front of you right now, Contentment for us is, is, is commonly thought of as perfection. A lot of times we'll think of it as, I will be content when I'm perfect. So contentment is the ability to say, I've got it all together. Or at least I can actually make it look like I have it all together and that's good enough. But Paul destroys that idea. He's just said it. He's just said to us, he's content. We, we just read these words from Paul telling us that he's content, but let's examine the situation that Paul was in when he wrote those words. He was living in an empire that was persecuting people of his faith, just like he had done years earlier in his life. He was living under a ruler who, who was ruthless. Oh yeah, Paul was writing this letter when he was in prison. But this is the same guy in the same place when he wrote these words, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. So you might look at him, and I wonder if the prisoners around him in in prison actually looked at him and wondered, is he delusional? Or has he actually figured something out about contentment in a life in Christ? There's a couple of things I think he did pick up in in prison that I think we kind of naturally would. And he learned that accumulation does not equal contentment. It's almost cliche to say, but some of the happiest, most joy filled people that I have ever met have been in areas of strife, strife and, and poverty. Places like Haiti and Zimbabwe and Puerto Rico and neighborhoods and cities in the United States. When you're imprisoned by poverty, or literally imprisoned like Paul, you're unable to accumulate stuff. You don't have anything that is your own. Nothing belongs to you. And yet Paul, in that situation, found contentment. Paul also discovered that safety does not equal contentment. Paul also discovered while he was in prison, he was not responsible for his own safety. His safety was up to his captors. If anything was going to happen to, to him, it was going to have to go through them. And yet here he is again telling us that he is content. Paul's words in this passage have actually been abused and misused over the centuries. And so I think that it's important to point out that he's not trying to ignore the pain of real suffering. In fact, Paul is not content with his suffering at all. However, what Paul is saying to us is that he's content in the middle of his suffering. It's not okay that he's suffering but he is okay in his suffering. If that makes sense. Play it back. It's not okay that he is suffering, but he is okay in his suffering. You don't have to be content with 2020. You don't have to be content with hungry children around you. You don't have to be content with abuse. You don't have to be content with racism. You don't have to be content with division. In fact, this kind of discontentment that Paul is demonstrating, and that we can imagine for ourselves has been described as holy discontent. We're not where we're going, but God is with us where we are. Which is a beautiful thing that God can use to usher in his kingdom where there are no more tears, there's no more suffering, and there's no more global pandemic. Do you know anyone who has ever just given up? You know, there's nothing sadder than than seeing someone who is content with their own imprisonment. We can't be content with a broken world. If we we become content with a broken world, then we are part of the brokenness in the broken world. How could we possibly, you might be wondering this, how how could we possibly be content in a time of so much anxiety-producing reality that is all around us? To understand the path to contentment is to understand the source of contentment like, where does it come from? How can we get this? There was a time when Jesus was at the end of a long day. He had been healing people. He had been calling disciples. He had been teaching in various locations, really deep lessons, thoughtful lessons, you know, just like a regular Saturday for Jesus. And he, at the end of the day, invited his disciples to get into a boat and to go across the lake. Not too far into their ride, a big storm came up, the disciples were losing their minds it was such a large wind that in the bible calls it a squall which means it was a large wind and it was just like terrifying to them they thought that they were going to die and so they turned around and looked for jesus and he was found asleep in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow and so they said to him teacher don't you care if we drown they really thought they were going to drown don't you care if we drown Have you ever had somebody who won't join you in your anxiety? (laughs) It can be really frustrating, right? Like, come on, I'm terrified. This is terrible. We're losing it. You know, and it's frustrating when somebody doesn't come along with you and doesn't get mad with you. (laughs) Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, quiet, be still. Jesus demonstrates that a lack of anxiety does not equal a lack of care. It just demonstrates perspective. That's what Jesus had. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then it says that they were terrified and they looked at each other and they said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples' perspective was doom and gloom. Like their story was just about over. They were going to die. What was the perspective that they were missing out on in that moment? And would most of us as well. The perspective that they were missing out on was that Jesus, the Son of God, was in the boat with them. The one through whom God had created the water, the one through whom God had created the weather, was actually in the boat with them. You see, accumulation and safety don't equal contentment, but Christ does. Christ equals contentment. A little bit earlier when I was sharing the words of Paul, I could have included one more line of this letter and we would have ended this sermon five minutes ago, but we would have missed out, right, on all this fun together. So here's the rest of Paul's statement on contentment. He said, again, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Then he said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the secret that he was talking about. I've discovered the secret. This is the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Power that comes not from you, but from Jesus Christ. So in the middle of our anxiety, God drops a lifeline. And this is the lifeline. The presence and the power of Christ. That's what God drops right in front of us. True contentment, has to come from God and not from you or the things you accumulate or your safety or your next dream home. The key to contentment is not found in a perfect life right now, but the key to contentment is connecting your future hope with your messy, imperfect life today. So how do we do that? (laughs) Well, here it is. Get this. The Gospel of John says this, that through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made. That's how it starts off. John, look it up. John 1. Everything that has been created was created through Jesus Christ. So that you would long for that which he is preparing for you. Everything is meant to point you to more. Everything that was, was a part of that creation, that was created through Jesus Christ, back in the book of Genesis, was created to point you to the fact that there's even more than that creation. So don't be content with this life, but be content in this life. There is a reflection of heaven and creation all around us. It reflects some of what Jesus is preparing for us. It's like Jesus, he actually said this to his disciples before his death and his resurrection. He said, I'm going, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he said, In my Father's house, there are many, many rooms. What if you were in a house that was so perfect you couldn't even imagine a better one? You couldn't even imagine that next dream home anymore. Perfect location, room enough for the whole family, great views. One thing that we sometimes do is we, we, we're going to put our hope in a future inheritance, like a literal inheritance. So for some families, that's like the house, right? Right? the homestead, the, that one thing that's going to be passed on to the next generation. And as long as we look to that kind of inheritance for contentment, we aren't looking far enough. One, Our true contentment is farther off, but also right at hand at the same time. That's how Larry Hallier, our professor at the Providence Bible Academy, talks about the kingdom of God. He, he reminds us that it's, it's, it's far away, but it's right at hand at the same time. The reason you can keep longing for it is because you keep seeing glimpses of it now. Glimpses of your future home in your current home. (laughs) You're sitting in your current home, you're seeing glimpses of your future home, and it fills you with hope. Well, guess what? The house that Jesus promised back in John chapter 14 to prepare for you is already yours, it's already in your name. (laughs) There's no mortgage attached to it. Like it's already been prepared for you. It is already there. It's already yours to claim. So we see those glimpses and they keep us striving and they keep us moving forward towards the goal. And we don't know all the the dimensions of our future house, but we can tell that it is really, really good. And it makes it possible to do what Paul is able to do in his difficulties rejoice. We can rejoice. In our difficulties. It will lead us to contentment. Paul is winding the letter down here, and I'm gonna wind down as well. He said, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Remember this whole story kind of started off with Paul saying, Put but have the mind of Christ. Think about things that Christ thinks about. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Paul says, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's about to sign off here, and he says, Strive for what is true, strive for what is noble, strive for what is right. And the reason that there's this whole list here, is because you can't just do one part of it. You just shoot for striving for what is right, but you don't do it in love, you're going to miss the mark, right? What is true and noble and right and lovely and pure, it's all of that. That is all part of our striving that leads to our contentment. Paul says to put that way of thinking and striving into practice. It's like actually something that we practice because I even mentioned we're kind of wired a couple of different ways. So how can we practice this, this way of life that leads to contentment? Well, we just do it over and over again. That's Paul, what's what Paul was calling it, that church to. It's what Paul is calling us to as well. And the peace of God will be with you. So as we wrap up, just let his promise of a place that is prepared for you in the kingdom of God bring you joy and bring you peace. No more anxiety and practice contentment. Paul's final words in this letter have become just kind of a a mantra to me this week, and I want to carry them forward. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. If you're ever feeling like you don't have quite enough to get through this day, if the desperation of the situation around you is too much... The glory of Christ, the riches that are connected to the glory of Christ Jesus are being offered to you and God. God will meet your needs through that glory, which is the greatest in history. The riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Then he says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.